Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. Uh, I hope that it's encouraging to you and inspiring to you. I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into the scriptures. And I hope that you're able to do that with some people around you, with some community. Um, but if you don't have that, we would love to invite you into the community here at Restore. If you want to take a next step, get more connected, you can just go to restoreaustin.org slash connect, fill out a card on there, and I will personally reach out to you in the days after you do that. And if you want to grab coffee with me or just get more information about the church, I will make myself available to you for that. As you will hear, we are in this thing called a year around the table, and it really comes from this vision that God's given us that Restore would be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So A, I hope that you experience the extravagant love of Jesus as you check this message out. And B, if you don't have a table to sit at, we want to invite you to Jesus' table here at Restore. In 1989, at the Calvary Reformed Church of Holland, Michigan, a youth pastor named Janie printed 300 bracelets with a four-letter abbreviation on them. These bracelets and the four-letter abbreviation were supposed to help her students better live life as Christians. And they were a big hit with her youth group and eventually caught on at other churches around her city and then around the entire state of Michigan. In fact, it did not take long before they became popular all over the country, eventually all over the world. Today, it's estimated that tens of millions of these bracelets have been sold Worldwide. Does anybody know what the four-letter abbreviation is? WWJD. In case you've forgotten what they look like, this is what they looked like right there. How many of you had a WWJD bracelet? Does anybody have one on right now? Oh, oh, almost got me. I'm going to make fun of them a little bit, so I wanted to see if there was anybody that, you know, had them on. What would Jesus do? WWJD. I got my first one at a vacation Bible school when I was a kid, just up the road here at a church in North Austin. And I remember our Bible study leader told us that anytime we were faced with a situation where we didn't know what we should do, we should look down at the bracelet on our wrist and ask, what would Jesus do? Right? Now, it seems simple enough. So I popped the bracelet on, gave it a shot. But guess what? It never worked for me. It never worked. If you knew me at this time of my life, you can attest to the fact that it did not work for me. Because one of two things always happened. Either I didn't know what Jesus would do, so I'd look down at the bracelet, what would Jesus do? I don't know. So I just did what I did, (laughs) did what I wanted to do. Or, probably the more nefarious side, I knew what Jesus would do, but I did not want to do what Jesus would do in that situation. And so I did what I wanted to do. And after many times of messing up and feeling guilty or feeling ashamed, I remember thinking, if I just had Jesus here with me, instead of this dumb bracelet, I would probably be like a better Christian, right? Because if I didn't know what I could do, I could just ask him. If I didn't know what to do, I'd just ask Jesus, what should I do here, man? And he would tell me. Or if I knew what I was supposed to do, but I didn't want to do it, having Jesus next to me is good accountability, right? Think about it like this. How hard would it be to hit next on your ninth consecutive Netflix show with Jesus sitting on the couch next to you just reading his Bible? He's like, you want in on this or do you want to watch another episode of Is It Cake? (laughs) Would we really take that third trip back through the buffet line if Jesus was at the table with us? Another slice of cake, Zach? Did you watch five hours of Is It Cake just so you could come here and eat slices of cake? 
over and over and over again at Golden Corral. <laughs> but seriously, I bet we wouldn't gossip about people as much if Jesus was the one we were talking to. I doubt we would ever drive by someone in need if Jesus was riding shotgun. I know we wouldn't be so mean to people online if Jesus was watching us type. And I think we would all take a good, hard look at the ways that we contribute to marginalization and oppression in this world if Jesus was constantly reminding us of his words from Matthew 25, whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do for me. If we only had Jesus himself, instead of a bracelet or even instead of a book, we would be so much better at following him, right? Well, if you think that, you're not alone. Jesus' closest friends, they thought the same thing. And on the night of the Last Supper, just hours before Jesus would be arrested, illegally tried, and then unjustly killed on the cross, he told his friends that he was about to leave them. He said, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now the disciples, Jesus' closest friends, they're a little shaken up by this statement, and understandably so. Because Jesus is not only their best friend and their teacher, he is God in the flesh, come to make his home with them. So the idea that he is going to leave is kind of terrifying. So in the room around the table that last supper, people start to ask questions. They start to voice concerns. And so Jesus reassures them. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And then after that, Jesus spends the next three chapters telling them why. They can have hope and peace in the midst of difficult times and teaching them how to continue his vital work of bringing the kingdom of God to to earth as it is in heaven. Now, like us, the disciples thought that doing the work of Jesus would be impossible without having Jesus with them. So Jesus begins this really long teaching time, what's often called the Last Supper Discourse, by giving them a beautiful promise. That is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither knows him nor neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Listen, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize I am in my Father, And you are in me, and I am in you. So Jesus is going to leave them, but he's not going to leave them alone. Let me say that again. Jesus is going to leave them, but he's not leaving them alone. He's going to send his Holy Spirit not only to live with them, but to live in them. And Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as his spirit. And he says that through it, Jesus will indwell every believer, Jesus in us and us in Jesus. And the most amazing part of all of this is that Jesus says it's actually better to have the Holy Spirit than to have him stick around in the flesh. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate, it's another nickname for the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So do you realize what Jesus, God in the flesh, is saying here? He's saying the only thing better than God with us is God within us. The only thing better than God with us is God 
within us. The only thing better than God next to us is God indwelling us. Kind of makes WWJD bracelets seem less important, right? But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit within us does so much more than just help us distinguish right and wrong or keep us accountable in our decision-making. It brings life where there was once death. It breaks down barriers of division, and it empowers us to pursue the way of Jesus in every part of our lives. And that's why today we're kicking off a new teaching series called Dependence, Following Jesus Through the Power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this will actually be the final teaching series in what we've been calling our Year Around the Table. And over the last nine months, we've been walking through what it looks like for Restore to live out our vision, to be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. And we've done this by talking about and putting into practice six measures. And these are kind of the the markers of someone who is seated at Jesus' table and doing everything they can to follow him. Here they are. I depend on Jesus. I am a part of the family. I live invitationally. I pursue justice for the marginalized. I look for ways to be generous, and I include everyone. Now, so far this year, we've actually walked through a teaching series on each of these markers and provided various opportunities to put them into practice, both in our individual lives and in the life of our church family. If you missed any of those or on the podcast or YouTube or anything like that, you can go back and check them out. But as we've been doing and working through this series, many of y'all have asked me the same question over and over. How do I do this? In the deep brokenness of our world, where does the strength come from? to be a part of a diverse family, to to live invitationally, to pursue justice, to practice generosity, to include everyone. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from depending on Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why when we kicked off this year around the table back in August, I told you that we were going to start and end this year by talking about what it means to depend on Jesus. Because the truth is, depending on Jesus day by day and moment by moment is the foundation upon which all the other measures and really the entirety of the Christian life is built. And again, the question is, how? How do we depend on Jesus? How can we be empowered by the Holy Spirit to pursue the way of Jesus in every part of our lives? So that is what we'll be discussing and pursuing together over these next few Weeks. Does that sound good? Give me a nod if that sounds good. Okay. With the rest of our time together today, I want to show you a beautiful metaphor Jesus gave us for what dependence looks like. In that same Last Supper discourse, which is where we'll spend the entirety of this series, Jesus tells his friends that depending on him is like a branch connected to a vine. John chapter 15, starting in verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me as I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I put uh, abide in bold up there and highlight because five times in two verses, Jesus tells us to abide in him. And when a word is used that many times in rapid succession, we need to pay attention to it. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, in the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson translates abide in me as I abide in you like this. 
Live in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you. So Eugene Peterson uses terms like live and home because abide is a word loaded with themes of hospitality, themes of care. In the days of Jesus, when a weary traveler was passing through a city, barely able to put one foot in front of another, a hospitable homeowner would walk out with a simple invitation, abide with me tonight, abide here in my home tonight. This phrase literally translated, stay in the house. We actually see this invitation from people like Mary and Martha and Zacchaeus and Matthew to Jesus throughout his ministry as he travels around the country. It was an invitation to rest, to regain strength. It was an offer of food and water and friendship. It was an invitation to stop trying to do everything on your own, even if just for a night and allow someone else to meet your needs. This is the same invitation that Jesus is extending to us, except that it's not just for one night, and it's not just when we're struggling. Jesus invites us to abide in him every moment of every day. And then Jesus tells us what happens if we do. Whoever abides in me and I in them will bear much fruit, but apart from me, You can do nothing. This teaching about fruit is actually consistent with Jesus' message throughout his life and teaching. In Matthew 7, he says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So what is this fruit? Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess or wonder. Scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, track with me. So Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you, and if you do so, you will bear much fruit. So how do we know if we are abiding in Christ? How do we know if we are being empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives? The answer is pretty simple. Are we bearing fruit? Or to put it another way, When we are trying to assess if we are depending on Jesus and being led by his spirit, we can simply ask this. Does this lead to more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in me and in the world? Does whatever it is that I'm doing, whatever it is I'm participating in, whatever is happening in my thought life, however I'm interacting with my family, my peers, my friends, does it lead to more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is this thing that I'm about to post on the internet going to lead to more love? Joy? That was just for me. That was just for me. <laughs> Are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Because listen, my friends, if the answer is no, If the things that we are participating in are not bringing those things into our lives and into the world, then there's a really good bet that the Holy Spirit is not in it. And if that sounds overly simplistic, I honestly think that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because I'm not saying depending on Jesus and being led by the Holy Spirit is easy by any means, but I do think we often overcomplicate it. In this same Last Supper discourse, Jesus makes his desire for his followers very simple and clear. 
He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Again, if you love one another. John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is my command, love each other. John 15, 17, over and over and over in this last time of teaching, Jesus says, this is what I want from you. Even back earlier in his ministry, right, you had the religious leaders trying to kind of trap him and ask him which one of the 600 plus laws was the most important. Do you remember what he said? Love God and love your neighbor. That's what's most important. Jesus is clear. He says, abide in me through my spirit and you will produce fruit, the most important being love. Did you notice the fruit of the spirit list? What's first? Love. I really like how Beth Moore says it. She says, love God, love one another, love your neighbor, love your enemy. That about covers it. In Christ's meticulous census, the community exempt from the love of Christians has a population of exactly zero. Love God, love people. That's what we're here to do. Now listen to this. Without love, all fruit is plastic. I love every part of that quote, but the last line is especially good. Without love, all fruit is plastic. If what we're doing and what we are participating in isn't producing love and the other fruits of the Spirit in our lives and in the world, my friends, Jesus is not in it. The Holy Spirit is not leading you to it. I want to end this morning with some very practical next steps, because like I said a moment ago, I don't think all of this is too complicated for us to understand, right? We know that we're supposed to love. We know what love is supposed to look like. And I also know that most of us, we really want to abide in Christ. We really want to produce good fruit. So when we don't, I just think most of the time something else gets in the way. And it can certainly be a bunch of different things that get in the way. But over the last few years, the obstacle I most often encounter in myself and others is this feeling of being overwhelmed, this feeling of just being overwhelmed. And if you were here during announcements, you know we're we're doing this annual church-wide survey right now. Well, when we did it last year, we asked a number of questions about what does it look like for you to pursue justice and, and produce fruit in the world? And according to that survey, about 75% of you said you'd like to do more justice, more fruit-producing work. And when asked what keeps you from it, almost half of you said, quote, that you were overwhelmed by the amount of injustice in the world. Just a quick show of hands. Who feels that? Overwhelmed by the amount of injustice in the world. Yeah, me too. Me too. We are constantly inundated with stories of pain and oppression. We have access 24 hours a day, seven days a week to news directly to us on our phones. Not just kind of random global news, but news that's curated based on our own algorithms. Things that we know will get a reaction out of us things that will incite us, things that will move us to action, things that will cause us to click on something. And the results of this is that we are always deeply connected to pain. We are always so aware 
of oppression in our world. And in the midst of this overwhelmedness, we most often choose one of two polarizing paths. Number one, we either completely check out and do nothing, right? Just say, I can't handle this anymore. I'm not checking anything, giving my phone away. We're getting the TVs out of the house, right? Like, I'm just going to, I just, I'm done. I can't do it. Or we stay so completely dialed in. We try to be aware of everything. We try to comment on everything. We try to do everything. But neither of those work out very well, do they? So today I want to leave us with a third option. One that I've seen be both sustainable and most importantly, fruit-bearing. And it has two parts. Part number one, start your day with an abiding prayer. Start your day with an abiding prayer. So every morning when you wake up, before you look at your phone, that's the most important one, before you look at your phone, before you make coffee, before you do anything else, pray an abiding prayer. It doesn't need to be long or complex. For me, I actually really like to pray the words of Jesus from John 15. Something like, I know that I am the branch and you are the vine, Jesus. Help me abide in you today. Amen. It can be that simple. But this will set you up to abide in Christ throughout your day. And you can continue to pray these abiding prayers as you go. All day, you can pray these little prayers and ask Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to just equip you with everything that you need. Ask him to help lead you to where you should engage and where you should pull back, when you should step up and advocate and when you should rest. And you let him lead you in everything that you do. Now, obviously, this isn't like a math problem. It's not like two plus two always equals four. Even when I pray these abiding prayers all day, I still often struggle to live in Christ-like ways. But I'm telling you, it's a lot better than any bracelet can offer you. We have the spirit of Christ in us. If you have said yes to the free gift of salvation from Christ, he has indwelled you. And you have access to that power. Paul says it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. We have access to that power 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That we can pull from, we can find strength from and hope from and peace from. So start your day with an abiding prayer and then try to pray those all throughout the day. That's number one. Number two, end your day with an examining prayer. Start your day with an abiding prayer. End your day with an examining prayer. So at the end of each day, as you lay down to go to sleep, I want you to ask yourself this question. Did my actions today lead to more fruit of the Spirit in me and in the world? Did what I did today, what I participated in today, did it lead to more fruit of the Spirit in me and in the world? And again, this isn't a magic formula, but I've seen the words of Jesus prove true over and over and over again, that when we abide in him, we will produce good fruit. We will bear much fruit. When we depend on Jesus, we will see and experience More love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in us, and we'll get to be a part of distributing it to the world around us. And that's what it looks like to depend on Jesus. So let's be a part of doing that together. Let me pray.